Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents Annie Leibovitz at Work. This exhibition includes the photographer's iconic pictures from Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and Vogue, as well as new portraits made just for Crystal Bridges. Annie Leibovitz at Work opens September 16th. More at crystalbridges.org. KUAF is supported by Format Festival, merging music, art, and technology September 22nd through the 24th in Bentonville. This three-day festival features art installations and experiences from artists including Little Sims, Big Wild, The Far Side, plus a music lineup of over 50 artists. For tickets and information, format-festival.com. This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, August 17th, 2024. I'm Kyle Kellams. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Later this hour, how a new set of food lockers at a Fayetteville food pantry allows clients to have 24-hour access to healthy food. First, we travel to Centerton and a community of international food trucks. And Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith is our guide. With aromatic smells of earthy cumin and fragrant pepper, alongside bright, lively decorations of yellow, blue, and red stripes, line the signs of Los Parceros Colombian food truck in Centerton. Next to the town's Harps grocery store, Los Parceros sits between other multicultural trucks offering customers a chance to sit and enjoy their meal under the shade on teal blue wooden benches. Orlando Hoven is an entrepreneur and the owner of Los Parceros, which opened last June. Los Parceros inicia como un sueño familiar. Orlando says it began as a family dream that we want to create. We want to demonstrate something different that people know something different about Colombia other than what is seen on Netflix or seen in the series or from the dark history that our country has because of who we are. I want to point and have them remember Colombia for the food. The name Los Parceros came from the colloquial term almost exclusively used in Colombia for friend or partner. I asked him where the name came from. Well, look, I'll tell you, it's a Portuguese term that means friend. He wanted to use a familiar word that would grab both Colombian and American audiences and the term can be heard in the music of artists like Carol G, Maluma, and J Balvin, all Medellin natives. Ah, tú eres parce, tú tú eres parcero, tú, sí, por por lo que la gente nos reconoce un poco, entonces. Orlando says, "That's you. You're a partner." He's originally from Cali, Colombia, and moved with his wife Sandra and his two children a year ago to Lowell. Back home, he worked as a forensic investigator of transit deaths for over a decade, loving his profession and the impact he had on his community. But mounting political unrest left his hometown of Cali in chaos. Both violent and financial turmoil rose in 2021 after the height of a costly and lengthy pandemic. Until those barricades and brutality hit a high Orlando says he never envisioned himself living in the U.S., but... Entonces, fue, creo que la causa a mis niños. Que 
The principal reason was for my children, that they would have a better opportunity, have more security, protection. More than anything, I did it for them, and well, for us too. Once situated in Arkansas, he and his wife started selling food and trying recipes with local friends and a small network of acquaintances. For example, we started selling in our house just to acquaintances. We also gave away a lot of food in the sense that we wanted the population and the people to get to know it. And that was one of the challenges with having our food truck. Orlando says opening a business in the nexus of the Midwest and South, where the gem of Northwest Arkansas lies, has made for plenty of lessons for other eager entrepreneurs. Fueled by migration from both Fortune 500 companies and a budding international community, Orlando says that the global-inspired restaurant and food truck industry is a tough market to crack, but it can actually serve as a fruitful niche for up-and-coming entrepreneurs. He says he wanted to make sure that Americans were aware of Colombian-style cuisine. And this food truck park was a good location for that. Here there are people from Africa, there are American people, there are people from India, there are people from Central America and South America. So your gastronomic focus has to be on biodiversity, focused on culture. So that's the first limitation, he says. I asked him how he markets to the native Colombian group, one that might be reminiscent of traditional plates such as arroz con pollo, empanadas, una bandeja paisa. Es porque de pronto muchas veces de una manera errónea nosotros pensamos que nuestra comida tiene que ser para nuestros compatriotas. Many times, in an erroneous way, we think that our food only has to be for compatriots. Then there's the first limitation there. If I'm going to open a Colombian restaurant waiting for the Colombian to come eat, and if he doesn't come and eat, then I'm going to go bankrupt. He continues by saying that he believes that food should be for everyone. Since we're in a multicultural area, that lifts limitations for potential in future business. The main goal that has helped his business grow, Orlando explains, is passion. Lo que haces, hazlo con amor. Whatever you do, do it with love. In other words, I think that if you do it with love, that it will go well for you. Because if you do it reluctantly, it will become a job. But I believe that no matter it is what you do, do it with love, perseverance, and discipline. Because having a business is tough, isn't it? He finds it difficult to introduce the North American market to Colombian tastes, but he's proud of his work to establish a South American presence in American gastronomy. But he's proud of his work to establish a South American presence in American gastronomy. He hopes that it will be easier for the next generation of Colombian business owners to get going in the Arkansan food industry. That's what Los Parceros is doing. In fact, we're opening the doors to future Colombian businesses. Let's put it this way. It will be easier for a second restaurant or other Colombians because there will be knowledge. You can find Los Parceros at Centerton Food Trucks Park 
on Instagram and Facebook. For Ozarks at Large in Centerton, I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. The Botanical Garden of the Ozarks will host its seventh annual international festival Sunday, September 10th, 3 to 7 p.m. The afternoon is part of the National Observation of Welcoming Week, a series of national events bringing together immigrants, refugees, and native-born residents to affirm the importance of welcoming and inclusive places in achieving collective prosperity. The BGO lineup includes traditional food, dance, music, and art. The MC for the festival is Papa Rap. The September 10th event is open to the public and there's no admission charge. Many of us are expert at putting off the hard things that will be good for us down the road. We prioritize our current needs over our future well-being. Part of the job here is to figure out how do we make those present-day sacrifices feel psychologically easier to undertake. Caring for our present and future selves, this week on Hidden Brain from NPR. Hidden Brain, Saturday afternoon at 3 and Sunday morning at 6 on KUAF. You can always listen by asking your smart speaker to play KUAF. Still to come this hour, the prep work to establish a pair of professional soccer teams in Northwest Arkansas. Paul Gatling from the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report talks to Warren Smith about bringing both men's and women's pro soccer to Rogers. That's in about five minutes on Ozarks at Large. And we're back with another concert for the Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series sponsored by McDonald's. This concert is happening August 18th, this Friday at 8311 Rogers Avenue, Fort Smith, Arkansas, from noon to 2 p.m., featuring the amazing artist and fashion designer, Tylo May. You don't want to miss this. Get your tickets now at KUAF.com slash summer concerts. Again, KUAF.com slash summer concerts. We'll see you there. New 24-hour access food lockers in Fayetteville will allow clients of the St. James Missionary Baptist Church Food Pantry to access food around the clock. The lockers were formally dedicated yesterday. Monique Jones, St. James Director of Community and Outreach, says the lockers are accessed with a code that unlocks one of 12 lockers. That's refrigerated. I can turn it into a freezer or heated to, in order to store food orders from uh, individuals within the community, and they'll be able to come and pick up with their food with dignity and access. The lockers were installed through a partnership of St. James, the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, and the Northwest Arkansas Food Insecurity Community of Practice. The St. James Food Pantry will still be open Tuesdays and Thursdays and still work with DoorDash for deliveries. Monique Jones says lockers will be able to help people who work during pantry or DoorDash hours and allows clients to choose their food through an online ordering system. I want to empower our community to make their choice. Before the pandemic, we had client choice, but we have so many people coming in that I wanted to empower them to be able to pick up their food and not have to come inside and or get in line. I wanted to build a platform that served more individuals that were still suffering from food insecurity. And I'm telling you, that this right here, this locker, will nourish communities for a long time to come. The lockers are operating with an initial grant from the Walmart Foundation. Jones says she's already thinking about how an expanded locker program could help more people. I'd like to put one on the west side over by the Boys and Girls Club. Do I have the funding? No. Can I apply for grants? Yes. But I want to be able to, different people in different areas to be able to access food. And even thinking rurally out in the Elkins area or even West Fork area, I have individuals driving into that, from that area to come and get food from the food pantry. So I'd love to set one up out in a rural area. 
The lockers are located at 115 South Willow Street in Fayetteville. There will be new leadership at Walmart International next month. Judith McKenna will retire after 27 years with the company, including six as the CEO of Walmart International. With her retirement, Kath McClay will become the president and CEO of Walmart International, and Chris Nicholas will become the president and CEO of Sam Clubs U.S. The changes are effective September 11th. 64-6 downtown in Fort Smith has announced their fall artist lineup. The Levitt Amp Fort Smith Music Series will feature five free family-friendly concerts at the Riverfront Amphitheater every Saturday in September at 6 p.m. Musical guests include Terrence Simeon and the Zydeco Experience, Jaren Branjay, and more. Blankets, lawn chairs, picnic baskets, and dogs are encouraged. You can find more details at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. And the Arkansas Razorback soccer season starts tonight in Fayetteville. Razorbacks ranked eighth in the country, hosting Arkansas State. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. Well, the magazine's annual 40 Under 40 issue is out this week, featuring on the cover our 27th annual class of 40 Under 40 honorees. I hope you've had a chance to read about this year's group and learn more about them at nwabusinessjournal.com. We also welcomed 400 guests to our annual 40 Under 40 luncheon at Embassy Suites in Rogers on Tuesday, where we formally recognized this year's honorees. Olivia Walton, chairwoman of Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville, was the keynote speaker and was interviewed by Roby Brock host of the Sunday morning television programs Talk Business and Politics, and Capital View. Brock is the CEO of Natural State Media. That's the parent company of the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal. Brock and Robert Burns, who's the home region program director for the Walton Family Foundation, hosted an informal breakout session and discussion with the 40 under 40 honorees before Tuesday's luncheon. Now, we've got a recap of all of those happenings on our website and a link to profiles of this year's 40 Under 40 honorees, and you can find that at nwabusinessjournal.com. When we come back, we will visit with San Diego entrepreneur Warren Smith, who is one of the leading backers working to bring professional soccer to Northwest Arkansas. You're listening to the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender. San Diego entrepreneur Warren Smith is well-known in pro soccer circles for ownership and management on several pro soccer levels. He is a co-founder of a group working to bring to Northwest Arkansas professional men's and women's soccer through a franchise in the United Soccer League. The group made their big announcement last month at the site where they are planning to build a 5,000-seat stadium near Pinnacle Hills Promenade in Rogers. 
The Northwest Arkansas teams are expected to start playing in their respective leagues in 2026. One month after that announcement, I spoke with Smith about the early response. Well, I think the first most uh, important thing is that we're actually having a conversation regionally about what, you know, what we might be able to do together um, and, and, and really creating something special. As I think you know, we also started some listening sessions, and the, the purpose for these is to really understand, you know, from various communities, various demographics, uh, you know, really what's important to them and what's important, uh, you know, to living here in Arkansas, what do they love about it? And so we're uncovering these really ge these nice gems about uh, how people feel about this community. Um, and, and it's our goal there to actually tap into and, and build a, a brand around those, those emotions, if you will. And uh, I think that's been really cool for me to learn. As you know, I've visited here for 30 years, but I've never really understood or dug deep and this digging deep has really been kind of special to learn more about this community which is just it gets more and more awesome every day um and i think the second thing is just you know building on our business model we now uh are uh, getting our cadence and then the, and, and then building the investor group you know as i shared with you before it's our our goal to uh you know have representative ownership meaning somebody that you know, in charge of this thing that's local. And we're in uh, a number of dialogues there and uh, advancing them all very well. One of the more popular discussion topics on social media is when and how the Northwest Arkansas franchise will settle on a name. Smith offered an update. Well, let me tell you, a couple ideas have emerged, but there's nothing that we have landed on. Uh, again, uh, we're trying to brand this uh, and come up with a name that truly, truly represents the community. I mean, it's easy to do Ozark FC, or it's easy to do Northwest Arkansas FC, um, and that may where that may be where we end up. But we got to explore everything before we actually, you know, make a decision and then test it. I know you you had a great event out at Pinnacle Hills for the launch, and uh, a lot of excitement there. Curious, what kind of um, what kind of traction you got after that, just from a business perspective, maybe, um, and I know we're still a long way away from playing soccer, but have you, have you secured any partnerships or sponsorships, or have you taken any interesting phone calls of, uh, from, from people wanting to know more about this on the business side of things? Oh, 100% on the latter end. Um, in <laughs> fact, you know, sp everything from sponsors to investors to, uh, ticket holders or just, you know, how can I help calls uh, from, you know, uh, elected officials. And, and um, you know, it's been really, really cool to see uh, how the public uh, really wants to play a role in this. From a sponsorship standpoint, uh, we're hiring an agency. And I want to be, uh, um, you know, I want to be uh, strategic about this because, frankly, and please, no disrespect to your community, to this community, uh, but it really doesn't know sponsorship that well. Obviously, a college sponsorship, which is a lot more like donation, um, you know. But we actually, you know, provide our sponsors with, you know, direct ROI on their on their investments with us. And so we were like, you know, we're looking for partners that actually are looking for a return on investment that we can help deliver uh, for them. So we have to go through an education process. We expect to have 
an event with the community. In fact, it might be a great idea to invite you there. Um, but we're going to have a listening session just for the corporate community about what they want in partnerships. Um, and, and you know what they, and, and ultimately, you know, use that as an opportunity to not garner interest, but to really help to educate about uh, true sports uh, partnerships and what they can do for companies. Yeah. Um, it's not just putting a sign on the wall. It's really, you know, as you know, we um, like, for instance, our kit partner uh, we wear on our chest. It's going to be on ESPN, you know, two nights, three nights a year. It'll be on ESPN Plus every night. Right. Uh, it'll be on local TV most likely as well every night uh, we play. So um, we really have to uh, you know, have a partner that really has goals and objectives to actually help them accomplish, if you will. So. We're going to take our time on that um, because, it's, again, it's important to do that right. That's Warren Smith. And with Chris Martinovic, they are the co-founders of USL Arkansas, which is the group working and planning to bring pro soccer to a new 5,000-seat stadium in Rogers, Pinnacle Hills area by 2026. I'll have more about those plans from a business perspective in the next issue of the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal later this month. In other news this week, Lindsay & Associates executive Melanie Gable has left the Fayetteville-based real estate company after nearly 20 years to launch her own business. Gable Realty is now open in Fayetteville. Gable is a well-established realtor in northwest Arkansas who is consistently ranked among the top 25 realtors in the region in the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal's annual Top 100 list. And with school starting across Arkansas this week, it's a good time to direct you to our latest installment in our Mid-Year State of the State series, focusing on education. Our State of the State series provides reports twice a year on Arkansas's key economic sectors. The series publishes stories to begin the year and during the summer to provide a broad mid-year update on the state's economy. And we've also got a story online about new legislation that increases the incentives for movie production in Arkansas. Supporters in the industry say it's a step in the right direction, but wonder how much the new laws will actually help. You can find all of those stories and more at nwabusinessjournal.com and on our sister website, talkbusiness.net, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large, and this is the middle of August, Timothy Dennis. One of my favorite times of year, you know, especially when the heat has broken. Yes, it's... though we're not done with the heat. You know that. No, yes. I know that. I know that. I mean, we're, we have second and third and fourth summer <laughs> ahead of us. And I, I have to say, you know, I've lived in Fayetteville for a long time. I love the change in the feeling when students leave, but I love when they come back both. I love the shift. So we're moving into a different time of the year now. Yeah, I can agree with part of what you just said. <laughs> uh, anyway, you we're were here. You were once a student. I was yes. once. Okay. Anyway, it's Thursday. We're here to talk about music. Mm-hmm. Let's start with tomorrow night. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville having a show featuring Anna Moss of the band Handmade Bowmans. 
And she is scheduled to come by to speak to me tomorrow afternoon. Oh, excellent. You know, just talk about what she's doing with Handmade Moments and this new endeavor right. that she's bringing to George's. And we'll hear that conversation right. in the future. That new endeavor is called Animos and the Nightshades. Mm-hmm. They are joined on that bill by locals Meadowmakers, mm-hmm. Dana Louise and Noah Richmond. Mm-hmm. That show has a $17.5 cover, and it will start at 9 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. Yeah. Also in downtown Fayetteville tomorrow night, Kingfish is going to have the Corey McKelvey band on stage. Why do I know that? Corey is of the band Dandelion Heart. Exactly. This is her solo yes. effort, though. She yes. has a new record, and it sounds amazing. Yes. That show will get underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night again. That's at Kingfish in Fayetteville. Happening up at Bentonville for the patio concert of the week at Bike Rack Brewing Company, they're having a rock and roll show featuring the bands Bellwether Sirens and Garden Snakes. show is on the patio by Greg Brewing Company in Bentonville. Gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Still in Bentonville tomorrow night, Meteor Guitar Gallery is going to have an evening of blues featuring Blue Reed and the Flatheads and Oreo Blue. Hmm. Tickets are $10 in advance, go up to $15 at the door. That starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night again at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. Tomorrow night in Rogers, the Music Depot, the new venue yes. for Music Moves NWA, is going to have the Scott Ellison band in the house. Ooh. Kind of a blues yeah. and rock band. Cover is $20. That'll start at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Music Depot, which is on Walnut Street in Rogers. Happening at the Walmart Amp in Rogers tomorrow night. Big show featuring some people you may know, Beck and Phoenix. Tickets start at $31, which for that lineup seems pretty good. That will get underway at 5.45 tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Walmart Amp in Rogers. Moving on, Asylum Springs tomorrow night, Creekside Tap Room is going to have local singer-songwriter Jacob McCoy on their stage. That show starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Creekside Tap Room in Siloam. Down in Fort Smith tomorrow night, Majestic is going to have Tristan Menez in the house. He is a country singer with roots both in Houston and in Oklahoma. To kind of think cowboyish okay, music. Okay, okay. Tickets are $12 in advance, $15 at the door. Starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Majestic in Fort Smith. 
Okay, jumping ahead to Saturday. Nomads, Southtown Nomads, mm. is going to have a show, uh, a punk show featuring bands The Espionage Act, 40 Open, The Storyline, and Not the Sun. Cover is $10. That starts at 8 o'clock Saturday night again at Nomads on 15th Street in Fayetteville. Also Saturday night in Fayetteville, Clap Auditorium on Mount Sequoia uh-huh. is going to have an indie show, courtesy of On The Map Shows, featuring the New York-based band Florist and the L.A.-based band Skullcrusher. Oh, wow. Tickets are $20. That starts at 7 o'clock Saturday. Again, that's at Mount Sequoia's Clap Auditorium in Fayetteville. Happening up at Butterfield Stage in Rogers Saturday night, Benjamin Del Shreve will be on stage. He was just in the building yesterday. Oh, really? He was talking about this Arkansas Tiny Desk thing, I believe. Oh, fantastic. I just got to say hello to him, and he looked great. That show gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday evening. Again, that's at Butterfield Stage in Rogers. The Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs Saturday night is going to have the Hex Peddlers in the house. Mm-hmm. They're a local gypsy jazz and jug band trio consisting of Sebastian Bordeaux, Chucky Wags, and Petey Wesley. This is Saturday night? This is Saturday night at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. What time? 7 o'clock. I'm a bachelor Saturday night. <laughs> well, there you I go. I may need Maybe to go Eureka over. Eureka Springs yeah. is calling. Yeah. You. Also in Eureka Springs Saturday evening, God Hole Brewing is going to have Mason Jar Revival in the house. They are an Oklahoma-based country rock red dirt band. I went a little crazy And there was moments I lost my mind And you could actually make a little bit of that, a little bit of the Hex Peddlers, because this show starts at 5.30 again. That's at God Hole Brewery in okay. Springs. Jumping ahead to Sunday evening, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have a hard rock show featuring the bands Scorned, Endfall, and Duvide. Tickets are $10 in advance. Go up to $12 at the door. That starts at 7 o'clock Sunday night. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. Okay, jumping all the way ahead to next Wednesday, George's in Fayetteville is welcoming back the band Bit Brigade. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, they're this band that does live performances of the soundtrack to video games, like vintage video games typically. Right. This time is no different. They will be performing the soundtrack to The Legend of Zelda. They're after my own heart there. <laughs> and DuckTales. DuckTales uh, was a video game? Well, I'm sure it was. Oh, okay, okay. No, I, I mean, you know, 8-bit, 16-bit era. I sure, would not sure, be sure, surprised. Sure. Tickets start at $15 in advance. Go up to $17 at the door. That starts at 8.30 next Wednesday. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. And next Wednesday in Fort Smith... Temple Live is going to have a show for those who like hair rock mm-hmm. because they are welcoming Buck Cherry. They are joined on that bill by Dusty Grant. Tickets start at $30, and that starts at 
8 o'clock next Wednesday, again at Temple Live in Fort Smith. And then next Thursday evening, George's in Fayetteville is going to have country singer Randall King in the house. Okay. Tickets are $20. That'll get underway 8.30 next Thursday, again at George's in Fayetteville. Good list. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you. Uribe, professor of music and associate dean at the University of Arkansas, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with Charlotte, North Carolina-based pianist and composer Chad Lawson's piece Fields of Forever. This piece was released in 2022 as part of the album Breathe. This album is described as an invitation to hit pause on the hustle and bustle of life to reflect. When Lawson's performing career was paused during the pandemic, he started the meditation podcast, Calm It Down. Using his skills as a yoga teacher and breathing coach, Lawson brings the healing powers of music to the forefront with pieces that invite the listener to reflect and find serenity. Fields of Forever, in the words of the composer, is an invitation to enjoy the process instead of focusing on the destination. It is the stops along the journey that add up, nudging us to appreciate the little things that make life worth living. Here it is, your invitation to pause, to slow down, to just be.
that was Charlotte, North Carolina-based Steinway artist, pianist, and composer Chad Lawson's piece, Fields of Forever. You can find more about Lawson in our show notes. Natalia Doco is an Argentine singer and musician currently based in France. Her song Respira, Breathe, was released as a single in 2015 and as part of the 2017 album El Buen Gualicho. Respira is also an invitation to breathe, but this time framed in celebration, an invitation to sing and dance, leaving behind sorrow, forgetting sadness, and letting air and time be the promise of healing. This hopeful song is enhanced by the instruments that accompany Natalia's doco singings, charango, harp, vibraphone, and bass. Breathe, every harmony brought by the wind brings me back to singing. Never forget that everything is easier if you learn to trust. Argentinian singer and songwriter Natalia Doco and her song Respira, Breathe. Find more about her music in our show notes. 
It is not a secret that incorporating breathing practices into daily routines can have numerous benefits for both physical and mental well-being. Today in Sound Perimeter, we listen to two invitations to breathe, one introspective by pianist and composer Chad Lawson and one celebratory by Argentinian singer and songwriter Natalia Doco. This is Leah Uribe, professor of music and associate dean at the University of Arkansas Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a show written and hosted by me and produced by Timothy Dennis, KUAF 91.3 in Fayetteville, Arkansas. This segment is dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. I'll see you soon. Arkansas election officials reject more absentee ballots in all but one other state. About 1,100 of the 15,000 total mail-in ballots received in 2022 were thrown out. Daniel Breen with our partner station KUAR spoke with Arkansas Times managing editor Benji Hardy about this story, looking at some of the potential reasons for Arkansas's high rejection rate. 2020 was a year unlike any other an election, unlike any other, I mean, not because of COVID, all across the country, election officials in every state and every county, I think it's fair to say, were, were struggling with this unprecedented situation of uh, absentee ballots coming in at, at a much higher rate. There, there are worries, I think, everywhere around the country about rejecting mail-in ballots. Like, would we see tons of ballots rejected uh, that year? And in general, rates were not much higher, I think, across the country. The highest state in the country for rejection rates was Arkansas, though. Um, so according to the federal data, we threw out over 6% of, of the mail-in ballots we received, which is is quite a bit higher than any other state. But it, it was not limited to 2020. You know, if you look at, at, at this data from, from 2018, and then most recently, the 2022 data, um, you see Arkansas is, is sort of consistently number one or number two for, for rejecting ballots that it receives in the mail. The data is definitely not perfect. I'd say it's it's pretty flawed, in fact. It's collected through voluntary surveys that are given to, to county-level election officials. And so it's self-reported and it's full of it's full of holes. But it does allow you to at least sort of do a comparison between states and see the discrepancy is pretty large between Arkansas and the median, including a lot of other red states and, and all of our neighbors. I mean, Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma don't have rejection rates nearly as high as Arkansas. 
Well, it's interesting you mentioned the, uh, the sort of the problems with the data that you all are getting, because it, it seems to me that sort of reflects the, uh, the larger issue here is that counties are sort of left to their own devices. There's not really a, as far as I can see, an overarching regulatory body that's overseeing them and, and ensuring that they are rejecting ballots that should be rejected and, and accepting ones that should be accepted. I mean, elections are administered primarily at the county level. I mean, there's 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 two state offices that um, are involved in that process. There's, there's the Secretary of State's office, which maintains the voter rules. It's responsible for voter registration and so on. Um, but they do not run the elections. You know, they don't run sort of the polling places and so on, on at, a, at a county level. Then there's the State Board of Election Commissioners, which is responsible for training and oversight of the county boards that are really where the kind of the rubber hits the road for um, for for elections being administered. But I mean, yeah, that's training and, and, and oversight. It's not the same as sort of you know regulation and like. And I, I don't think the state board takes a very heavy hand in often in in sort of in keeping track of what the counties are are up to. So at the county level, um, the folks in charge of elections are the county board of election commissioners, and that's a three person body that is composed of two Republicans and one Democrat selected by uh, the like county party committees. That composition is based on who holds uh, constitutional offices in the state, meaning governor, attorney general, lieutenant governor, and so on. As, as ballots are coming in, uh, in the mail, um, and then are counted on election day, you have volunteer poll workers who are trained to count those ballots and make decisions about um, whether something should be thrown out or not. Um, to be clear, they're not looking at the actual ballots with, with, that are marked up with the voters' choices. They're looking at sort of paperwork accompanying those ballots. But um, if, for example, there's a signature missing from, um, from the voter statement, which is a required document that must accompany any mail-in ballot, that's sort of a clear violation. For a lot, Then there are ballots that are sort of trickier, I mean, edge cases, where, say, um, there's an address that doesn't quite match up. Um, let's say like it, they didn't put an apartment number uh, or they put the wrong zip code, you know. So so those sort of uh, questions would go to the county board of election commissioners, that three person body to then sort of make a call about whether this ballot can be counted or whether it should be rejected. And I think it's important to note these mistakes like putting today's date instead of the date of birth. Uh, it's important to note here in Arkansas, you can't fix those whatsoever. Right. And that's 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 something else that people people cited to me is as one of the things that could make a big difference in Arkansas. There's no uh, cure period, as they call it. So interestingly, there is a cure period for um, for the ID requirement, since that was an, that was something that's been, you know, it's a fairly new law. If a voter mails in their mail-in ballot, everything is perfect on the voter statement, everything matches, but they don't include a photo ID, then um, they have a window of time after election day to remedy that. That is not the case at all with, with um, issues on the voter statement. We've talked about a few uh, potential solutions here, but just in an ideal world, what would you like to see the state do? I mean, one answer is training. I mean, I think that, that that's something that came up in my interviews was, is the state board of election commissioners training poll workers on what should count and what shouldn't? And then, I mean, another thing I'll mention is is some of the, the the folks I interviewed cited more of a cultural thing, I suppose. I mean, there's obviously been a lot of a lot of rhetoric from uh, former President Trump and others in in the past several years about 
rampant voter fraud and so on, that that can create sort of a culture of suspicion around, you know, counting a ballot or not. Many people would say give the give the ballot the benefit of the doubt, but others may see it differently, you know, may see, you know, tend to look for reasons to throw out a ballot and sort of think of their their job as election commissioners or poll workers to be sort of policing, you know, looking for any reason to throw a ballot out. If Arkansas does not take any action, if Arkansas continues to have one of the highest absentee ballot rejection rates in the country, uh, what effects do you think that will have on the state and uh, voter engagement? We're already a, a pretty famously, notoriously low uh, voter engagement state. So I guess what impact do you feel that that could possibly have on uh, public policy here? You know, I guess I want to be clear, like this is not going to um you know, swing, say, like the balance of power in the state, like we're, we're the, the numbers that we're talking about here, mail-in ballots are, are are still a pretty small percentage of the overall number of votes cast in, in, in most any election. But it can make a huge difference in individual um, local races where sometimes things come down to a dozen votes. You know, that's that's really not unheard of. Um, I believe there was a state house primary race not long ago that, you know, came down to a couple of absentee ballots that came in, right? I mean, votes should be counted. I would hope that's something anybody involved in elections could agree that, you know, any any legitimate vote does need to be counted and it should not be uh, made unduly difficult for people. Um, I think that often, I mean, Republicans are much more concerned with with issues of election security um, because of some of these, these worries about fraud, whether those are valid or not. And I, you know, I, I would hope that there's a way to address those concerns without also throwing out hundreds or thousands of ballots that should be counted. It could be very discouraging as a voter to know that, you know, if you mail in a ballot, it could be a bit of a toss up on whether it is counted. Daniel Breen from our partner station KUAR talking with Benji Hardy, managing editor of the Arkansas Times, discussing his reporting about Arkansas's high rate of absentee ballot rejection. Hey, this is Rafe Box, owner of Holy Anvil Recording Co. and the creator of the Anvil Sessions. The first ever Anvil Fest is just around the corner, happening August 18th and 19th at Cash Studios. It brings 10 local musicians to Bentonville for a free, two-day, all-ages fest, featuring the Flims, Ashton Barbary, TV Preacher, Jess Harp, and more artists featured on the Anvil Sessions, my web series of live performances recorded at Holy Anvil Recording Co., and available to view on YouTube, NPR.org, and KUAF.com. For more info about Anvil Fest and the Anvil Sessions, head over to KUAF.com slash Anvil Sessions. This is 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Bethel Heights. Contributors to today's show included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Daniel Breen, Leah Uribe, and Paul Gatling. And we had additional reporting from Matthew Moore. Additional production help today from Stephanie Brock. Today's program and today's sound perimeter produced by Timothy inside the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Timothy Dennis. Thank you so much for spending part of your Thursday with us. Kyle will be back tomorrow at noon and 7 with a brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. Until then, please be well. Support for KUAF comes from the Clinton School of Public Service at the University of Arkansas. The Clinton School's Master of Public Service degree balances rigorous policy and data analysis with effective communication and relationship building. 
Students complete unique field projects from local work in Arkansas communities and across the world. More information at clintonschool.uasys.edu or by calling the Office of Admissions, 501-683-5228. Support for KUAF is provided by its contributing listeners and by the Walmart app. Presenting Beck with songs like Loser and Where It's At, Friday, August 18th, with French indie pop band Phoenix returning to Northwest Arkansas after headlining the Format Festival. Tickets at amptickets.com.